0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to Inside the Morgue. We're your hosts and favorite autopsy techs, Justin Alice. This episode is all about skeletons, and what better show to watch than Bones? So, we watched season 8, episode 18 of Bones, titled The Survivor in the Soap. We're getting into a lot of anthropology in this episode, obviously, and we have an even crazier
1: true crime story for you at the end involving soap. So, let's get into it so for this episode we open at the smithsonian and someone comes in asking for dr saroyan and this guy just has a barrel that he found at a hazardous waste disposal facility and he opens to reveal a human arm coming out of what looks to be like a soap type substance and i loved this guy because he's just like i tried calling and you wouldn't answer so i'm just bringing it here he was like very much done with having this barrel in his possession (laughs) and Everybody says that they're put off their dinner and I actually I got me thinking have you ever had a case that put you off like have you ever had a day at work where you're just like I can't eat something the same because I've had recently had something that I like it changed the way I looked at a certain food.
0: I think this isn't recently this has been like an ongoing thing for the last two years maggots just remind me too much of like rice and sometimes <gasps> I was gonna say. it's not all the time like i'm I'm still like okay eating rice but sometimes if i think about it too much I, and i get too in my head i i can't do it but there was the one case this guy was in a bathtub for way too long and i literally got so sick after i, remember, I had yeah. to like go home i had to leave work the next day because i was so sick
1: from that case and we no brag we have pretty strong stomachs not a lot gets to us so that's saying something but I was gonna say the same thing. Rice and um, recently, my boyfriend and I have been making this really nice risotto dish. It's like a mushroom, mushroom risotto, and I've been eating it a lot. It's been so good. It's so easy to make. So it's been like one of our go-to meal plans for the week. But then mm-hmm. recently, within the last like month or so, I just like I looked at it and I saw a bowl of maggots, and I'm like, I can't eat this. And I like literally had to tell Costa. I was like i'm so sorry i don't think we can make this for a while and he's like why and i was like it's a work thing and he's like don't tell me anymore it's a work <laughs> thing like, don't tell me anymore i don't want to know and I'm like, but it was so weird it wasn't even like i had something that triggered it it's just like i looked at it suddenly and i was like oh this is suddenly so unappetizing yeah. <laughs> like, it was i don't know if you've ever seen the movie the lost boys about like all the vampires Mm-mm. but there's a scene where they like trick someone into thinking that he's eating rice like he's eating like Chinese food rice but they trick him into thinking it's maggots so he like he's eating rice and then oh. he looks down and it's maggots and that's like immediately how I felt oh. <laughs> but when I was watching this and they're like oh I don't think I'm gonna eat dinner it just made me think of like oh I wonder wonder if Jess has similar feelings
0: no I, I totally get that and I understand like that obviously happens especially in some cases and some people are more sensitive to it too mm-hmm. sometimes I look at meat
1: differently now yeah I get asked if um if like I'm a veg so I'm a vegetarian and I've been a vegetarian for almost 17 years now and I get asked if it's because of my job and it's, it's not but a lot of people are like oh I feel like I'd be a vegetarian if I worked in the job you do I'm very much not a vegetarian
0: but I definitely don't eat a lot of red meat and I don't know if that is because of what we do or if it's just, like, not very appetizing to me anymore. Yeah.
1: I want there to be, like, a study of people <laughs> who work in this field.
0: Are they vegan, vegetarian, or have, like, flows and, like, waves of foods they can't do?
1: Yeah. Oh, my God. We should put a this story up. Let's put a poll Yeah, up. we should put a poll up. And then I... See, I'm, I'm curious, but I'm also scared to ask because I don't want it to ruin any foods for me, but I want to put like an open question asking like, what foods have been yes. ruined for you? But then I'm scared that they're going to say something and then it's going to be ruined for me. But you know what? I'm really curious. Maybe we'll just do it anyway.
0: <laughs> okay. We're going to put this on our Instagram the day that this episode
1: drops. Yes. Please let us know. So back to the show, uh, Bones and Booth both get called in to investigate this case so Booth talks to the man who brought in the barrel, and the man says it belongs to LandTech Waste Disposal, and that they have 60 trucks in the tri-state area. And they don't know where the barrels come from. They just pick up the full ones and drop off the empty ones. And then this man, who has had enough of this, just leaves, and we never see him again for the rest of the episode. He's just so done. He's, He's just, like, this dips. is your job. I'm just supposed to pick up these barrels, <laughs> <laughs> and this one had a body. I bet you he quit his job. I don't (laughs) blame him. Immediately quit his job. Bones is looking at the remains in the barrel and with Dr. Soroyan and other members of the lab. And they obviously can't x-ray it as it is because the barrel is made out of metal and it wouldn't do any good to x-ray it. So they're just looking at the arm right now and they think that it's some kind of soap in the barrel or at least some kind of salt-based hydroxide poured into the barrel, dissolving the victim's fat to make the soap. So this is true Uh, bodies are made up of proteins fat and at least 65% water and when exposed to extremely basic or alkaline solutions like potassium hydroxide. The water molecules in the body will dissociate into hydrogen and hydroxide molecules, the proteins will be broken down into their building blocks amino acids. And fats will actually turn into soaps. And this is because the triglyceride units of fat react with the potassium hydroxide to convert to soap and glycerol, which is called saponification. So this isn't too far off from what can actually happen. And based on the hand alone, that's all they can really see, Bones determines that the distance between the lunate, which is one of your carpal bones or like your wrist bone that articulates with your radius in the forearm, And the distal right phalanx, which is one of your finger bones, indicates that the victim is male. But according to the British Association for Biological Anthropology of Osteoarchaeology, certain parts of the skeleton show little difference between male and females, and these include vertebrae, hands, and feet. So... But based on this, this isn't really the best way to determine biological sex. What would really be good is the shape of the skull or especially the pelvis are very reliable in determining biological sex. So I'm going to give a possible red flag here for her just confidently saying that it's a male based on the hand. But spoiler alert, we do eventually see the full skeleton and she can make a better determination from there.
0: Do you remember in... Our master's program, did you have the anthropology course? Yes, it was one
1: of my favorites.
0: I was just, I was thinking about the entire episode. Yes. And anthropology is so fascinating and there's just so many different points in like in your skeleton that like determine a lot about you and I've been like going down a rabbit hole and I've been very invested in like studying more about human osteology and, and anthropology. I love it. I just wanted to share that with you because I think it's, I just think it's so fascinating.
1: I it's one of my favorite subjects. We have to go to the body farm one of these days. Yes. Together and I just the forensic anthropology center I've always wanted to go. Anthropology is... So fascinating. And yeah, I totally get it. I want to go down a rabbit hole too and just study osteology and anthropology. It's, it's so cool. But yeah, I didn't know if... Because I know like typically if you're biologically female, you'll have smaller hands. So I know that's possible, but I guess it's not as reliable as say looking at the pelvic bone or like the skull or other yeah, aspects. Yeah, like females' like pelvic female bones like-
0: are more rounded because we are literally made to give birth yeah and men are more triangular Mm
1: -hmm. i want to learn more about anthropology now just not from bones because it's not always right
0: (laughs) i I want to go re re reread all of like our lecture notes and then like just do a deeper dive into learning even more about human osteology and anthropology just for like my own well-being let's do it let's
1: start like a book club with us we'll like we'll, we'll like do little readings of like papers and like anthropology papers I was reading um I was shoot I'm gonna forget the name of the paper now of course now that I'm recording but it was from uh the forensic science journal I think just making things up now, apparently, but um, <laughs> it was an anthropology study of like looking at bones and like cartilage and stuff, telling the difference between like strangulation and like different types of asphyxia, and it was really, it was really interesting. Nice. And it got into all the nitty gritty of anthropology, and I was like, God, I miss this. <laughs> I like... know. I
0: I even re-listened to Crime Scene Queens' episode of Skulls. They had a part one and a part two, which is super fascinating. Such a I highly listen. recommend you guys go listen to that. Those Episodes and their entire podcasts. They're awesome. We love Shelly and Laura. And
1: I was just like, Wow, like I want to learn even more. I love learning. Yeah. I remember that episode. I remember talking to them about that episode when we um we did our like a mm-hmm. collaboration with them and we were just chatting forever and we talked about that episode and we were we were both fangirling. We're like, we love the skull episode. <laughs> Skull, skull, skulls, skulls, <laughs> skulls, skulls, bones. <laughs> Love skulls. I will say that is like such a theme of <laughs> different people I've met that like work our job that I've um everybody has like something skull. Really, like a picture of something skull related. Like I met, I met a woman who was an autopsy technician, and she had like little skull earrings, and like her like cell phone case had little skulls on it. And I know you have a cell phone Cute. case that has skulls in it. Like we all have little skulls.
0: <laughs> I have a a black skull with like fake succulents coming out of its head on my desk, and I have a little candle skull. And I have a little crocheted
1: skull. I have a skeleton. I have a full skeleton yes. on my desk. I have a skeleton that we, we we have a little Christmas tree in our apartment that we just never <laughs> take down. We just decorate it for different holidays. But um, the skeleton constantly stays on there because it's always spooky season when you live with an autopsy technician. So yes,
0: <laughs> slowly turning my house into spooky season all year round.
1: Just by Halloween decorations as home decor. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Um, Back in the show, they also think that it would take about 24 hours for the chemical to actually dissolve the victim down to the bone. But they're adding about 12 to 24 hours for the soap to harden and set. So the victim was put in the barrel probably at least 36 hours ago. And they're able to like open the bottom of the barrel and push this like hardened soap material containing the rest of the skeleton remains out so that they have a clean body to examine from there and so they're digging this skeleton out and they say that the skull has a broad nasal aperture which is like the pear-shaped bony inlet of the nose so like if you're looking at like a traditional picture of a skull it's like that little hole where you in the middle of the face where you would imagine a nose would be and they also say that there's a rounded nasal sill so this is like the soft tissue bridge around the nose and a protruding mandible which is your jaw All of this, along with the shape of the skull, suggests that the victim is West African in origin. There are no osteoarthritic osteophytes. These are bony outgrowths, usually associated with degeneration of cartilage, which happened with age. So they're giving him an age range of 20 to 30 years to help with uh, Angela's facial recognition. They see areas of bone lesions of the skull that could be bone cancers or treponematosis, a.k.a. Yaws. And we give this a green flag because Yaws is an infectious disease that affects your skin, bone, and cartilage. And it's a tropical disease common in children of Indonesia, West Guinea, Haiti, Colombia, West Africa, and parts of Brazil. Therefore, they think that this victim possibly grew up in West Africa. They look for West African men on the missing persons list and immediately get a hit. His name is Simche Conte, he was 24 years old, and he was reported missing by someone named Alvin James, which they believe is a fake name. They run the missing persons report through an NSA voice analyzer, and they're able to isolate the noise of like a drill or something behind the man. They think it sounds like a gas station or an auto body shop of some kind. Booth and another investigator go to Simche's apartment building and they run into a janitor and they ask him to let them in and they're asking him about Simche and what he knows and he says Simche was a good kid and the last time he saw him was three days ago and that Simche lived alone. He lets Booth and the investigator into the apartment and they don't see any photos of family or any old photos so they think that he's trying to start a new life and not really dwell on the past. They also see he graduated from chef school in May and they find duplicate sheets from a taxicab logbook. And it looks like someone had recently been staying in the living room, but there's no other sign that anyone else lived there besides Simche. Back at the Smithsonian, they are cleaning the bones in this like scary looking machine.
0: It's like a it's like a dishwasher type thing that like a restaurant would have. Like an industrial dishwasher. Yeah.
1: Any anthropology people out there, let me know if you actually use this. I feel like, I mean, I know the bones are stuck in like this hardened soap, so that's really what they're trying to wash off. But I feel like you want to be like gentle with the bone. <laughs> but like, yeah, for sure. And <laughs> they have like a catch tray to catch any evidence that might be rinsed off of the bone. So they're not just like washing it in a dishwasher down the drain. <laughs> Meanwhile, while this is happening, Booth is talking to someone from the state's department about Simche, who says that Simche had escaped Sierra Leone to Guinea about 10 years ago and applied for refugee status. He was 14 and an orphan, and he also applied for asylum, meaning that at just 14 years old, he had a reason to fear for his life. Five years after he was in the U.S., he became a U.S. citizen. The State's Department guy says that Simche was getting payments from Wilford Hamilton and Associates, which is a law firm specializing in immigration. So they go to this refugee center looking for Wilford Hamilton because he was doing pro bono work there. They tell the lawyer that Simche was dead, and he says he was his lawyer when he applied for asylum, and that he also hired Simche to help other refugees get on their feet. Simche would help refugees get settled and find a job in a stable living situation. Wilford says everyone loves Simche. But he says a friend of Simche's named Brima Chiloma was deported back to Sierra Leone and is in the U.S. illegally. Brima asked Simche for help, but Simche told him that he couldn't help him if he was in the country illegally. Brima was deported for almost killing a man in a street fight. The state wants to take over the case which Booth isn't happy about. I feel like this is a theme in, like, every one of these shows that we watch. Like, everybody's in a pissing match about, like, jurisdiction. And CIS <laughs> like, did it, now They have to show. bring it up at least once. They have to bring it up, like, at least once. They're like, someone's going to try to take this case from me. And they're like, no, you're not. And then <laughs> it's like a race to solve it because someone's trying to take over the case. So Angela is able to track down the cab company from the logbook that Booth found at the victim's apartment. They think that the cab company is like the auto garage noise that they heard in the background of the 911 call, and they think that the person who was calling was Breema because he would have used a fake name like Alvin James because he was supposed to be deported. But if Breema killed Simche, why would he report it himself? Angela asked for dispatch logs from the cab company to compare the voice on the 911 call to see if Breema is the one who made the call. When examining the skeletal remains, they note that there's no remodeling or healing in the bones of the ribs, which means that the fractures occurred close to death, so they didn't have time to heal before he died. They don't see anything severe enough to be the cause of death right away, but they do see a number of anti-mortem, which is before death, like during life, injuries, based on bone remodeling, which include a fractured tibia, which is one of your shin bones, your clavicle, or his clavicle, and his mandible, which is his jaw, which all date back to his childhood. There is bone deformation in the vertebrae, knees, and feet from carrying heavy loads barefoot. There is also asymmetry of the shoulder joint, which Bone says is common from repeated use of an AK-47. So she says like when you hold the gun up to your shoulder and like the massive like fire, the kickback would like mess up one of your shoulders. So we couldn't find anything scientific to back this up, but I think it makes sense that repeated stress of the bone can cause the bone to basically become curved in response to the pressure and strain. And these changes can become long lasting. So we'll give this a green flag.
0: So it looks like Simche wasn't just a refugee from Sierra Leone. He was a child soldier. Booth finds that Simche's bank record showed that he received a check uh, for $1,000 the day before he died. It was from an art gallery and Booth and Bones go to question people there. They find out that Simche was hired... Through the refugee center and the photographer who covered the war in sierra leone for over three years ago was there and due to the subject matter of her work she wanted a west african chef to cater to the event she said Simche came to the location to meet her three days ago she said when she was showing him around he broke down looking at the photos and fell to his knees he said on the phone he could handle it but fell apart when looking at one photo in particular Bones looks at the photo and says that the child soldier is Simche based off his facial features. And I'm kind of confused how she could exactly see like tell that just from looking at the photo, because he couldn't have been more than like eight years old in that photo and he's like a grown-ass man now
1: right i was wondering that too and i know bones is supposed to be like a superhero anthropologist who can do anything but like that seemed like a bit of a stretch yeah is it a red flag
0: Mm-mm. you don't give it a red flag because i feel like oh, if i no, looked we at we a photo i would not be able to just tell i
1: mean i don't know i don't know either i mean like if I look at, <clears throat> sorry, I'm like losing my voice. If I look at a photo of someone like I know, like younger, like I feel like if you, if I just saw a photo of you when you were a child, I'd be like, oh, look, it looks like Jess, because I know what your face looks like. But she's never seen this person's like face with, yeah, flesh and muscle on it. She's only seen the skull, mm-hmm. and seemed like a. But I mean, I guess she's seen pictures of his face. But still, it seemed like hmm, a, it's bit a, of a bit stretch. of a stretch. Yeah. We don't have to give it a red flag. I just, but it's just questionable. We're noting it. <laughs> I'm noting it. I got my eye <laughs> on you. So Booth asks the photographer if she has
0: potassium hydroxide, and she says she uses it to develop her high contrast photos, and she keeps about a pound of it around. But she didn't know it was Simche in the photo, and that she has no interest in killing anyone herself. But back at the Smithsonian, they may have found the cause of death. There's a linear cut on the right clavicle, and there's also fracturing adjacent to the cut along the right side at the one end. and there is similar fracturing at the left end on the opposing end of the cut, which is indicative of a stab and twist movement, like almost from like a, how like a bayonet would have been. They're going to swab the cut for particulates before jumping to any conclusions. Booth looked into the photographer's purchasing records and she didn't buy enough of the potassium hydroxide to dissolve an entire body. I
1: wonder how much she would. I'm not going to look it I- up. <laughs> But I don't
0: want to put myself on an even longer list than I already am.
1: I'm definitely on a list for all the things I look up for this podcast. This is what we do for the podcast, guys. <laughs> I risk my life for you guys. little weird. <laughs> I'm on an FBI watch list for you guys. <laughs> I wonder how much
0: hydro- or potassium hydroxide would cost and how much you would actually need to dissolve an entire body
1: i bet you there's like i know there's a MythBusters out there in the tv show about um so they did like a breaking bad episode because the whole thing in breaking bad is they use um hydrogen fluoride um to dissolve mm. bodies in the bath in the bathtub the famous bathtub scene and like every time they kill someone he's like oh, get the hydrogen fluoride um, so they did, like, a Mythbusters to see if it would actually dissolve, and they used a pig, I think. Obviously, they didn't, like, kill someone on Mythbusters, but, like, <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? Damn, this
0: was getting intense.
1: I know they did a Mythbusters about it, and I think they found it wouldn't dissolve. Either it wouldn't dissolve as quickly or as completely as they show in the sh- in Breaking Bad. So I wonder if they they also did potassium hydroxide. That's interesting. Because... Now I want
0: to do a science experiment. Oh, God. <laughs> On a pig, not a real person. (laughs) Could you imagine? That would be like a really cool thesis if somebody was doing like a senior sem. Compare what they do in Bones and like what would actually happen in real life. Or it doesn't have to be this. It could literally be anything. But I think that would be a really cool thesis topic.
1: You convinced me. Let's go back to school and write a thesis (laughs) on this, Jess. Okay, let's go. We'll apply to... Oh, no,
0: this could be like... We could just do a really fun project for our office and then share our results (laughs) and maybe get published. Oh, that would be (laughs) fun.
1: We melted a pig and wrote a paper about it.
0: I put a pig in soap. Here's my paper.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's like a little PowerPoint. They're going to be like, who let
0: these autopsy texts run wild?
1: <laughs> you know, in Bob's Burgers, how Gene has this little keyboard with like funny noises. I feel like <laughs> yeah. you'd be talking, and I'd just be playing the keyboard, and I'd be like making like, oink <laughs> sounds so, like oink, oink. <laughs> I'd be doing like, <laughs> I'd be like presenting research. It'd like, <laughs> be in my business attire at like a little keyboard, like oink, oink. <laughs> Okay, this got off the rails. (laughs) All right, let's get back to the show.
0: (laughs) So Angela is able to match the voice from the 911 call to the voice of the dispatch call from the cab company, confirming that whoever made the 911 call worked for the cab company, whose logbook was in Simche's apartment. The cab is registered to somebody named Anthony Johnson. Booth ends up calling the company, saying he needs a ride, and he gets the car, and then he gets into the car and asks the driver if he is Brema, And the driver gets very nervous and says, no, my name is Anthony Johnson. But Booth then reveals that he is an FBI agent, and they say that they need to talk. They bring Brema in for questioning, and he says that he called 911 because he was scared that something happened to Simche. He says he didn't hurt his friend, and he also says that he wasn't involved in the fight that he was arrested for. Booth asks what happened to Brema's hand, and... We notice that his left hand is missing completely. And Brima says that when he was a child in Sierra Leone, he refused to kill his teacher. So the rebel soldiers made him watch while they killed the teacher and then they cut off his hand. So he says that he would never kill his friend and that Sinche was helping him and he wouldn't have turned him in. Brima also says that the photo of him in the gallery wasn't new to him. It had been published in the community paper five years ago and Sinche saw it then. And Booth believes Brema, but the other investigator isn't convinced and says that delayed-onset PTSD can cause a violent outbursts from seemingly minor events. And one of the texts says that Brema couldn't have killed Sinche. Angela even modeled the attack, and given the extent of the injuries, the attacker would have needed two hands. And Brema has one hand. So the results from the swab from the cut on the bone show that was some type of steel that is chrome plated and contains traces of potassium chloride and potassium chloride is a residue common to an ak-47 after firing and this is actually true for like the time period that this show came out in so this season eight of bones came out 10 years ago and nowadays they I think they've taken away a lot of the potassium chloride in their gun and like in the cartridges and like firing things that they use and it's all chrome plating for the critical parts, so they have less potassium chloride nowadays.
1: Interesting. I didn't know that.
0: I found some website and I I'm not a big I don't know anything about guns or any kind of like parts of guns and I was confused reading it, but It's said that nowadays, chrome plating for critical parts of, like, military weapons is more common than, like, back in the day when they used mostly uh, potassium chloride. So, it looks like the injury was caused by an AK-47, but how can someone slice the clavicle with the barrel of an AK-47? The team is trying to figure out what set off Sensei at the photo gallery if he had already seen the photo of himself as a child soldier. They think Brema might be able to give insight into what would have upset Simche because they went to rehabilitation together. Bones, Booth, and Brema, wow say that three times fast. I—that <laughs> alliteration. <laughs> they all go to the gallery and find the photographer taking the photos down. She says she avoided exhibiting these photos for years, and she was right to. Brema walks through the remaining photos in the gallery and says that his life was so horrible. He starts looking through the photos and pointing out boys that he knew. The photographer says she was trying to
1: help by calling attention to what was happening. This part like broke my heart. This part was so sad. He's like, I know that boy and I knew that boy and I knew that boy. And he's just like walking around like kind of in a daze, just like, oh, yeah. I knew I knew this person, I knew this person. It was really and he, like
0: falls to his knees in the middle of the gallery. Yeah. Yeah. So just then Brema sees a photo and starts screaming no and breaks down crying. He says he recognizes the man in the photo, and Booth recognizes him, too. He's the janitor from Simche's apartment building. No! No! The photographer says that the man is Joseph Embarga, an RUF general, and she says that he's a monster. Brima says he was responsible for recruiting thousands of child soldiers. He disappeared after the war, so Booth thinks that Simche saw this photo and threatened to expose him after realizing that he was working in the building bones then asks if booth is sure that it's the man from the apartment because it's years later but didn't she just pick this p- pick out in the photo when he was like eight years old and now he's like 20 something or
1: 30 something years later but you can do it bones you can do it this <laughs> set me off because i was like so this man is an adult in this photo and an adult now obviously and booth saw him like yesterday so booth is much more likely to recognize a man in a photograph an adult man who is just slightly younger in a photo like Like, yeah like his facial
0: features really didn't change much but going from a boy to a man come on like
1: and also like you've only seen the skeletal remains of this man she's like when she said that she's like booth are you sure like this is years later and booth is like yes i saw him yesterday like i know this man booth's (laughs) like just because you
0: can do it doesn't mean i can't
1: she's like listen i'm bones you're not bones (laughs) and i
0: like she was basically like you're just ken (laughs) (laughs) i'm barbie bones is everything i'm everything you're just Ken.
1: ken booth is such a gun oh my god in like a fun way because
0: bones is everything
1: booth would get an i am knuff sweatshirt (laughs) and he would rock it he would wear it all day he supports his barbie (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry we we saw the barbie movie amazing we saw the barbie movie last weekend and we had a very fun time and we've been quoting it
0: (laughs) everyone go see barbie
1: everyone is great thank you greta
0: But yes, Booth is such a Ken, but I just, (sighs) Bones needs to calm down sometimes. So pick a side, come on.
1: I like, I was so (laughs) upset at that part. I'm like, he saw the man yesterday. He (laughs) would (laughs) recognize him from a photo.
0: (laughs) Bones, you've never seen this man.
1: Yeah. Oh my God.
0: (laughs) But anyway, they bring in the janitor and he says that he's not who they think he is. Booth says the fingerprints say otherwise and that DNA will match him to Joseph Embarga as well. The man says that Embarga was never fingerprinted and that all DNA evidence was destroyed. He was so, like,
1: he was the man, like, the actor. He sounded like Batman. Yeah, the actor did a great job because he was just, like, so stoic and serious. I'm like, well, I heard Embarga was never fingerprinted, so I don't know how you're gonna get that. And I'm just like, oh my god, you're a supervillain. But, like, honestly, like... actual monster the actor did a great job in that scene yeah he played a good villain yeah booth says that he can either confess to this
0: murder or they're sending him to the hague to answer for his 17 counts of crimes against humanity the man says booth is wasting his time his name is tony dennis and he either must be let go or granted a lawyer So Angela was then able to find Joseph Ambarga's voice from a pirate radio broadcast and compared it to the voice of the man that they had brought in for interrogation. And it's a match. And they had this cool, like, side to side of, like, the the audio they were comparing and, like, the voice that they just had in the recording. And they, like, overlapped the audio sound basically and it was like the same pitches in the voice and I'm just wondering if this tech actually exists and if it really does work
1: or yeah I want to know I don't know anything about that kind of tech like obviously I know like voice recognition is a thing but I just don't understand how it works like our voice is actually as unique as fingerprints like that's like so that's kind of what they made it seem like. Yeah. And it just, I went down like a rabbit hole in my own mind of just like thinking, I was like, well, people can do impersonations and like, <laughs> can somebody perfectly impersonate <laughs> like like someone else's voice? And is that like, will it show up the same on this technology? Like, I don't, I was intrigued.
0: Because they did the same thing when they were doing the the cab call yeah. and the, the 911 call. And that's how they found Brema. Brema, Yeah i'm just
1: so curious now because i mean like what if i did my best british accent would i still come up the same (laughs) what if i
0: got because no you're right they're basically saying that voice recognition is as unique as your dna because they don't have anything to compare it to
1: yeah they're like because there's a part where angela even says that she's like it might not sound like it to me and you but like there's different tones and everything and it's actually super unique and this is a perfect match and I'm like they're making it seem like it's as foolproof as like getting a fingerprint like exact hit like they always do on the shows that's never actually an exact mm-hmm. hit it's never that easy but yeah so I'm I'm not calling a red flag because I don't know
0: but I'm just noting this mentally there's a
1: lot of iffy iffy things mm-hmm. that I just don't know enough about to actually call red red flags so like, that's
0: like the overall of what bones is like bones is just a lot of iffiness
1: like you don't know if it's really real or not bones is it is entertaining but it's <laughs> they say a lot of really big scientific words really fast so you're like oh they must know what they're talking yeah, you, about you don't have time to think about yeah it. like i i recognize some of the like anatomy and like the bones words mm-hmm. but i even had to like pause like and like slow it down a little bit. Be like, wait, what did she say? She just like skipped over that really quick. Like when she was talking about the hand, she was just like throwing out lingo. It seemed like like the yeah. lunate and the distal phalange. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait I'm typing what? <laughs> like, and I feel like they just like throw out lingo and they make they make bones talk in nothing but like medical legal terms, so that she always seems like she knows what she's talking about, <laughs> but she also sounds like a robot sometimes. But yeah, this is like Rosewood type tech, like one of his crazy machines that he would yes, have. Yes,
0: that you don't know if it's real or not, but the show just makes it seem like it's so real
1: and that people actually use it. And they also, I just want to talk about they're like <laughs> insane, like technology. Like they just have these giant screens, like these futuristic. I don't even know if it's a screen. It's just like. It seems like something out of Star Wars, like these hologram screens that are like displaying all of their info. I wish we had that. Right? We
0: have a screen in our autopsy suite that is not connected to <laughs> anything, just, and it does not just, work. It's just this big TV monitor, and it doesn't, it doesn't turn either. on.
1: But, like... <laughs>
0: and we have tiny computers. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, coroner's offices and medical examiner's offices and any other forensics unit is highly underfunded.
1: Yes. <laughs> it was money Um,
0: we would never have the highest tech like how these shows have this
1: isn't technically they're not mainly a forensics thing though they're like the smithsonian museum so they do like museum work for the most part and it's like that's like the whole story is like the forensic thing is kind of like a side gig for them but they still they do it like That's all we ever see them do because it's a forensics type show. Mm -hmm. I also, I'm so sorry. I'm going on a tangent about this show now. (laughs) I do. I love the character of Angela, but I, maybe someone who's watched the show more than me knows. I know her start in the show is they found her in a park working as like, she was like a caricature or like she was an artist person and they needed someone to draw like a facial like someone was describing like they needed a forensic artist yeah they need like someone to like they're like oh if like somebody described a person to you could you draw it so that's what she started as and now in season eight, she's doing this insane voice recognition technology. And I'm like, did they pay? I want to know. I hope they paid for her education. Maybe she got like. Yeah. Did they send her the master's? trainings in school? Because yeah. I don't know if we have, if that storylines ever resolved or if she suddenly is just like a super science, or, like a super like computer scientist. Like maybe she was the whole time and I just didn't know. But I just know they like found her in a park and they're like, hey, we need we need someone to draw. And she's like, I could do that. And now she's doing like everything. Like I love Angela. But I want to know if they paid for her. I wish getting a job was that easy. I mean, she was like a struggling (laughs) artist. So she was, she earned it. But I just want to know, like, how she learned all this crazy tech. Because she sounds like she's been doing it forever. She's like, oh, everybody knows, like, I know, like, about the voice recognition technology. And I'm just like, how? I never heard of this.
0: So back in the show, Bones is looking over the skeletal remains and found a second stab wound on the victim's atlas, which is the C1 vertebrae, and it starts at the base of your skull. And she thinks it's a two-pronged weapon made of chrome-plated steel that somewhat matches an AK-47. She thinks that the AK-47 was made into something else, and then they realize that it was possibly an African tribal mask that she had seen somewhere before.
1: How did she jump to that game? Sorry
0: she like that was a that's a very specific weapon that wouldn't be my first thought i was thinking like a fork or something
1: i th- see that's what i thought it was gonna because they i don't know they mentioned he was a chef and he went to chef school and i was like maybe yeah i was picturing like it's like chef items i was like <laughs> me may- i was like oh my because like um booth suggested like a pitchfork and I was like, yeah. oh, maybe it's some kind of culinary utensil. Like, that would be crazy. Like, he had a culinary utensil from, like, a melted-down AK-47 or something. I don't know. No, it's like an African tribal mask that someone had in their office. And I'm like, how do you remember that? I guess because she's Bones. And she, she's everything. She's Bones and she's everything. <laughs> she's everything. He's just Booth.
0: <laughs> He's just Booth. <laughs> Just then, Dr. Sororian comes in saying that James Embargo used Wilford Hamilton as his immigration lawyer. The clinic at the refugee center uses potassium hydroxide as a cleaner, and there should be more than enough to fill the barrel. The team go to the refugee center and into Wilford Hamilton's office, where Bones finds the exact African tribal mask he thinks is the murder weapon. Using an alternate light source, she finds blood on the horns of the mask as well as the hanging on the back. Bone says that reflective infrared spectroscopy will show that his bloodstain and simJs happened at the same time. And reflective infrared spectroscopy is a characterization tool to study the molecular orientation, average conformation order, and chemical identity of thin films on metallic surfaces. And it provides information about tissue hemoglobin concentrations and oxygen status. So like, you kind of can see, I guess, like a timeline of what blood spattered first. Mm-hmm. It's so
1: cool. Forensics is awesome, guys. I don't know if you love forensics. We knew this, but we love forensics. It's so cool. <laughs>
0: So Boo says that Sinche must have come to Wilford to tell him that his janitor was actually Jane's Embarga and then Wilford killed him because he didn't want to be exposed for shielding a war criminal and then he gets arrested basically in front of the entire clinic.
1: And then Bones says something to them about this. So the states, the state's department guy is there too and like. He tell she says something about the State Department guy that he doesn't understand to all these people, and all these people like flock around him. And I don't know what she said, but. That's basically how it ends, is, like, they arrest him. Yeah. The State's Department guy is, is the hero for these for these people. He was, The State's Department guy was pretty funny. I liked him in this episode.
0: Yeah. I thought that was a really good, like, fun episode to watch,
1: minus the little iffy parts here and there. I mean, all these shows are going to have their iffy parts. But, yeah, this was, this was a fun episode of Bones. I also just want to say, and this is a spoiler alert for, for Bones, if you're, like, die hard into Bones and you're watching it chronologically and you don't want any spoilers – Um, in the beginning, you see Bones and Booth, like, feeding their child, and then they, because they're, they're married and they have a kid now, but then they both get called and they both leave and their child is just sitting there. I'm like, who's staying with the kid oh my god i i totally forgot about that i
0: was like do they have like an on-call nanny every time they have to get called into a case mean, just
1: never touch it they like both of their phones ring and they both answer and they're like up oh, we got to go to work and you see like the baby by herself in a high chair and it's like are you going to call a babysitter like is that where you're walking to because you should is the baby coming I just jokingly gave that a red flag but just a tv show it's just a tv show But it it made me laugh when, like, the baby was just sitting there, like, eating her dinner. And they just, like, left. (laughs) I was like, okay, bye. They just ran out. All right. So the one detail that really stuck out to us during this episode was the process of turning human remains into soap. So for this week's True Crime, we will be discussing serial killer Leonardo Sianciulli, a.k.a. the soap maker of Correggio. Yeah, so just trigger warning, we're going to discuss child loss. Um, so at the turn of the 20th century, Leonardo was married and was pregnant 17 times. Of those 17 pregnancies, three were lost due to miscarriages and 10 children died in their youth. So she naturally became a very protective mother of her four surviving children. When her oldest son, and according to the article I read, her favorite, Giuseppe Pansardi told her that he was going to enlist into the Italian army so that he could do his part in the World War II efforts. Leonardo obviously did not take this well. She believed very heavily in superstitions, and this is what led to her becoming one of the most famous serial killers of the 20th century. Just a little bit about Leonardo's past. Um, She had a very troubled past. Um, She had attempted to take her own life twice before she was even an adult. And when she was married to Raphael Pansardi in 1917, she was convinced that her mother cursed her because she disapproved of the marriage. And her, her child, like how she lost so many children, she was convinced this was part of like a curse. On July 23rd, 1930, the Irapenia earthquake, one of the most destructive earthquakes in Italian history, struck near her home, and they were one of the thousands of families who lost their homes. So due to her bad luck and her belief in superstition, Leonardo went to a fortune teller who told her, quote, in your right hand I see prison, in your left a criminal asylum. So today there's some evidence to suggest that Leonardo's superstitious belief were a sign of deep anxiety and depression. However, she continued to dwell on her mother's alleged curse and the fortune teller's predictions. So when Giuseppe told her in 1939 that he would be joining the army, she turned to what she believed to be the only way to save his life, human sacrifice. And it's unclear where she got this idea from, that this would save her son somehow, um, especially because I believe she was uh, Catholic, like Italian Catholic, and like there's nothing that the Catholic Church or even like the fortune teller would have told her to lead her to believe that this would be the solution. So that's one of the things people don't know why she made this jump to like, oh, this is the only thing that'll save him. But she did go on to murder three women before being caught. Her first victim was a local, quote, spinster. And I want to make clear this is the article's word, not mine. I'm not calling her this, but that's what she's described as. You don't need a man. You don't need anyone. Okay. This woman was named Faustina Setti, and Faustina was going to Leonardo's home with the expectation of being set up with a husband, and Leonardo advised Faustina to write to her family telling them that she would be visiting a man abroad, that she was going to be setting her up with a man out of the country. However, Leonardo drugged Faustina with spiked wine and then murdered her with an axe. She dismembered Faustina and gathered the blood into a basin. She gave an official statement after her arrest and described the events as follows. This gets very gruesome and graphic, so I know you're listening to Inside the Morgue, so you maybe don't need a trigger warning for this, but just a trigger warning. This gets a little, gets a little bit nasty. She said, I threw the pieces into a pot and added seven kilos of caustic soda, which I had bought to make soap, and I stirred the whole mixture until the pieces dissolved in a thick, dark mush that I poured into several buckets and emptied into a nearby septic tank. As for the blood in the basin, I waited until it coagulated, dried it in the oven, ground it, and mixed it with flour, sugar, chocolate, milk, and eggs, as well as a bit of margarine, kneading all the ingredients together. I made lots of crunchy tea cakes and served them to the ladies who came to visit, though Giuseppe and I also ate them. Ew! Jess's <laughs> face right now. Oh my god. It's yeah, It's bad. That's why I gave a little warning, because it just the more she went on to describe it, the more yeah. unsettling it gets. So Leonardo also repeatedly took Faustina's life savings of thirty thousand Italian liar, which is the equivalent of 1794 US dollars during that time, but when adjusted for twenty twenty inflation, that's the the time the article that I read was written, it would be about three hundred and thirty-two dollars. Um, And Faustina had given her this money to pay her for setting up with a husband. Setting her up with a husband. On September 5th, 1940, Leonardo murdered another victim named Francesca Suabi. Leonardo said she had arranged a teaching job for Francesca and made her write letters to friends detailing her trip. And then she repeated the same thing she did with Faustina, killing Francesca with drugged wine and an axe. And she disposed of the body in the same way making tea cakes from the dried blood. Leonardo's third victim was Virginia Cacioppa, who was a noted soprano who sang for the famed La Scala Opera House in Milan. Leonardo promised her a job working as an impresario in Florence. And so an impresario is someone who organizes or finances operas, concerts, or plays. And Virginia visited Leonardo on September 30th, 1940, and was her third and final victim was killed with the spiked wine and an axe. However, this time Leonarda disposed of the body by turning it into soap. Leonardo described the events after her arrest, saying the following: "She ended up in the pot like the other two. Her flesh was fat and white. When it had melted, I added a bottle of cologne, and after a long time on the boil, I was able to make an acceptable amount of creaming soap. I gave bars to neighbors and acquaintances. The cakes, too, were better. The woman was really sweet. Ew, that's so disgusting. I, I like had to take a break after reading that. I was like, this yeah. is unhinged. God, that's so gruesome. Virginia's sister-in-law became worried when she received a letter describing a quick departure abroad. And this sister-in-law had also seen Virginia going into Leonardo's house the night that she supposedly, quote, left for this trip. She reported Virginia's disappearance to the police, who quickly investigated Leonarda. And at first, Leonarda defended herself. However, this quickly caused the police to turn to her son, Giuseppe, as a suspect. And this being her favorite son, she finally broke down and admitted to everything. Her trial only lasted a few days, and she was found guilty of her crimes and granted a 33-year sentence, 30 in prison, and 3 in a criminal asylum which is eerily what the fortune teller was right yeah but i think this might have been like a self-fulfilling prophecy type of deal <laughs> like she uh yeah <laughs> leonarda died of cerebral apoplexy while she was in the asylum at 79 years old her murder weapons including the pot she boiled her victims in were donated to the criminology museum in rome where they still are to this day that is I did an episode on dark tourism couple weeks ago. I would want to go there. This is a dark tourism spot, for sure. I didn't know there was a criminology museum in Rome. If anybody's been yes, there, please. please let us this know. This isn't one that came up on the list when I asked you guys, and I would love to hear more about if like, what else they have at this museum. If they have this gruesomeness, they have to have some crazy things there. Yeah. So I got this information from an allthat'sinteresting.com article titled How Serial Killer Leonardo Cianculli Made Her Victims Into Soap and Tea Cakes. I didn't read that at the beginning because it kind of gives the whole thing away. Um, but the article was by Katie Serena and edited by John Karauski. And this will be linked in our show notes if you want to read more.
0: I'm like in shock. I mean, like I knew I read about her. I knew what she did. But like hearing it again, just like, wow.
1: Hearing her like quotes of describing it. Her describing it is what like gets me. Like step by step, like she's giving a recipe for like the coagulated blood Ooh, in tea cakes. Ew. I was... Whew. Yeah. That, that got me. I was like, I, this is.
0: I think that when killers, uh, they get caught and like, they're doing their confession and like, they in detail describe to like, the police investigators, like, how they did everything. And they just like, are straight faced with zero remorse. And just like, are total, like, socio and psychopaths. That is like, The part in every true crime story Mm -hmm. that gets me.
1: Yeah. I think this woman, she it seems like she genuinely believed this was going to save her son. And although she did know it was wrong because Mm -hmm. when the police came to her house, she denied it at first until they thought they were going to arrest her son and then she confessed but she so I feel like she was describing it probably in such an unhinged way like no you don't understand I had to do this but it's like you know you're very mentally unwell and you killed three innocent women this is not okay like this is not helping your son yeah I had never heard of this one and it's it's a doozy what a way to end the episode (laughs) I know I'm so sorry
0: everyone So we tallied a total of two green flags and one red flag. So in our opinion, this episode of Bones does pass in terms of forensic accuracy, even though there's some iffies. We
1: got some iffies. We're giving some iffies. (laughs) We'll let it slide today, Bones. Not next time.
0: (laughs) You're on our list. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Morgue. If you enjoy our podcast and want to learn more about forensics, keep on listening. You can find us on Instagram at Inside the Morgue Pod and DM us with anything you want to talk about. We'll be back next week for a brand new dissection. Bye! Bye.